the volume. This session's podcast is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. Let me tell you a few reasons why. First of all, they are America's number one sports book. Duh. Uh, it's super easy to use. It's safe and secure. No tomfoolery. Fast payouts. As quick as two hours. And there's also so many different betting types. You know, the same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, features, you name it. We got it over here. I mean, there's risk-free bets, enhanced odds markets, so much more. It's all here, all in one app, all in one place. The fast payouts and the safe and security. I mean, come on. Now, guys, if you're new, you just have to download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and get started right now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so they know that your girl sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text Text Hope and Y four six seven three six nine for New York, Tennessee. Redline one 9789 in Tennessee. Visit www1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey everybody, welcome to the sessions. Happy Tuesday! If you're listening to this on a Tuesday, it's dropping on a Tuesday. Hopefully, you're listening as it's coming out. You're keeping your finger on the pulse with all things the sessions. Uh, This was a really fun episode for me. It was like a good throwback to some good Canada. Feel good. I feel like I recharged my own powers off of Max. Um, You know, I feel like he is kind of a Canadian icon, dare I say. If you guys know the band, the Arkells, they're fantastic. They've been around for some time now. I mean, gosh, I, I was saying to Max when he was on here, like, I remember interviewing the Arkells with their first album when it came out, and that was a while ago. Uh, And this was like one of the very first shows that I'd ever done. I did not know what the hell I was doing as a TV host. I didn't know that I was a TV host. I was just holding a microphone and asking some probably really dumb questions. He's always been really cool. Um, I've loved to watch the growth of the Arkells and the band that they've become. I I really feel like they've become like Toronto's band, and I talked to him about that. I was in Toronto a couple summers ago, and man, I just felt like it was the Arkells everywhere. I just think that city has fully embraced this band. They're such a fun band to listen to. They just have so much energy. They look really cool on stage. Like I was saying to Max, he's got such cool fashion and stuff when he's up there, but they're just like bopping around. Really, really fun, cool band. If you've not listened to the Arkells, if you're in the United States and you're unfamiliar with the Arkells, highly recommend you guys check this band out. Um, they're, they're just so cool. I think they're uh, kind of infectious on the ear holes, if you will. Anyways, guys, let's just get into it. You don't need to just hear me blab about it. Let's hear him blab about it. Here we go. Let's get into it. It's Max from the Arkells. hell are you doing what's going on we're entering another lockdown up here in canada so we are 
figuring out how to work in those confines. You know, so much of our uh, normal life is spent touring. And so now we're like, okay, what, what other projects can we take on right now? So we're in the studio actually today. We're working on new music. I think a lot of bands and artists have like four albums worth of material now that have just been, <laughs> that they're sitting on. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for having me. Oh my, no, I'm so glad to have you on. I'm sure you don't remember this, but I interviewed you a million years ago. On the score? It wasn't even for the score. This was like, I was working for what was Byte TV at the time, which kind of merged with Ox TV. And yeah, I mean, this was like a million years ago, right? When like Jackson Square was coming out. Like this is a... Whoa. Yeah, we were like in Hamilton. I actually think I might have been shooting something. Maybe I was... No, I wasn't working at the score. I was going to say I thought I was doing something with like the Tiger Cats at the time. I don't know. I was just in Hamilton and we did an interview. But anyways, here we are a thousand years later. Well, it's been so cool to see uh, your career uh, evolve. And because I, I obviously remember you most from the score. And then, you know, you, you stop paying attention for a second and then you turn around and you're like, oh, Renee's in L.A. And like, holy shit. Like, wow. Like, a, a lot is happening. And it, But I uh, mentioned to my friend um, Adam Birchall, who's now, who's a friend from Hamilton. He's now like the head of music at TikTok, but he worked at Live Nation for a long time. And I mentioned he's a huge wrestling fan. And I mentioned I was doing the, the podcast with you. And he said, your dad is an old school Live Nation person. Is that correct? Yeah. So my dad toured with Anne Murray for like 14 years. And then he started working for House of Blues for a long time. And then when that became Live Nation, yeah, he was the guy down at the amphitheater doing all the shows there. But my brother actually works. Oh, God, now I don't even know what the name of the building is. But he works with you guys. He helped you guys with the Grey Cup. Oh, what company is he with? What's his name? I'm going to screw it up now because he used to work for Claire. And now I don't know what the name of it is. He's going to kill me. Um, His name's Eric. Okay. Um, okay, so here's the thing. So a couple of years ago, I was just um, telling uh, one of my producers about this, but so this was probably like two, three years ago. I had not been home to Toronto in quite a while, or at least not spent like a substantial amount of time there. And I spent the summer in Toronto. It was the time of my life. Mm. I love Toronto so much. I miss it. I long for it. But as I'm like, you know, getting back into like the vibe of the city and checking things out, the Arkells are everywhere. Like <laughs> everywhere. Trying. Oh my God. I feel like you guys are like Toronto's band. Does it feel that way to you? I guess that's kind of a weird thing to answer, but. No, I mean, it's nice that we, that we know we can, you know, put a show up on sale and, and people are going to come. You know, I think every artist, no matter their size, is always worried about like, are people going to come to the gig? Like, I even heard an interview with Chris Martin from Coldplay, and he was talking about, he's like, you know, it doesn't matter that we've, like, sold out stadiums around the world. The thing that keeps me up at night is that, like, we're not moving enough tickets in Pittsburgh. It's like, <laughs> fucking Pittsburgh is fucked right now. No one's coming to that. We're, we're way behind schedule in Pittsburgh. And I think every band has a version of that. So it's like, whether you're playing clubs or bigger theaters or you're, you know, doing amphitheaters or whatever. It's always just like, what's the next step? How can we keep growing it? But uh, yeah, no, we, we feel very lucky that like we don't have real jobs. I always try to just put it in that perspective, right? It's just like, when are they going to tell us that we have to go back and get a real job? And so the fact that... Oh, I think about that all the time. And I'm like, what would my resume look like? What would I do? I have no idea. Well, what would you do if you had to do a regular job? What would you like gravitate towards? I feel like I'd just be like, I'm going to go be a waitress, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I very, I don't have much to offer except I can have a great conversation. Yeah, it's a good question. I like delegating because I'm not really good at anything, but I like working with people that are good at stuff. Like I, I like having 
big picture ideas or feelings. And I think that happens when you're writing songs and you're putting together like a show, you know, with your band. But like when it comes to like the execution of like what a light shade looks like on the stage or like a, a mix looks like, like I'm bad at all that stuff. So I really rely on the team around me to do anything. So you would flounder out in the real world. You would not do well. Oh, absolutely. And I think I actually have a good work ethic now, but I think if it was something I didn't care about, I'd be fucking so lazy. I'd be so lazy I'd, and I'd be a bad employee. My last waitressing job was at the Black Bull on uh, Queen West, baby. That was my last place I waitressed. And I remember I like enjoyed working there because you didn't really have to be a good waitress. It wasn't about like, you didn't have to charm anybody. You were kind of in and out. I was like, hey, I can handle this. The no bullshit, I can, I can kind of do that. Not so bad. I got fired from my last uh, real job uh, at serving at Eastside Mario's in, in Dundas, Ontario. I miss Eastside Mario's so much. What's I, the American the cheese equivalent? Yeah, cheese um, <laughs> I mean, I guess the Olive Garden, which we had Olive Garden in Canada for about 30 seconds, and it did not last. It's so weird to me how things succeed in Canada and don't succeed in the United States and vice versa. It's so bizarre to me. Um, I don't understand like what kind of makes that go. I mean, even in like for like our careers, like did you guys ever want to go to the United States and try to like work down here? Or did you kind of want to stay in, in Canada? Yeah, I mean, we've been touring down in the States consistently. We've been touring in the UK, uh, in Germany pretty consistently for like the last probably eight years. And um, the way we try to think about it is that it's just like, any amount of success anywhere is incredibly difficult. And, you know, there's so many examples of groups that like headline festivals in the UK, and then they come to America and do, you know, 200 cap clubs and vice versa too. There, there's bands that are massive in America that could be selling out 3000 cap rooms all across the country. But, you know, if they go to Germany, Nobody cares. So the, so the amount of like co-plays out there that exist is in the 0.0000001%. So we sort of try to take every kind of market uh, as its own case. And we're like, okay, if we can move a few more tickets or win over that many more people in, you know, Chicago, is it better than the last time we played in Chicago? And that's the way we try to try to rationalize everything. And, it's, you know, you were mentioning about like different products or brands that are huge in one place and not so big in other places, like Top Man. They tried to open in Canada, then they closed up shop. So it's easy to sort of, I think, get in your own head about like what success means. But I, for us, it's like, as long as we're not working a real job and we're like creatively satisfied every day, then that's sort of like, I think, the goal for, for us. Well, I mean, you guys are doing incredibly well. Are there U.S. markets or U.S. towns that you do better in? Uh, I'd say the places we've just been more. So it's like we're playing like House of Blues in Chicago. Uh, we're playing Irving Plaza. We're playing the 930 Club in D.C. And uh, those are like kind of like the 930 Club is like a legendary venue. It's like kind of regularly voted like the best kind of 1200 cap club in the country. So for us, even getting to play there is like, oh, this is fucking, this is exciting. This is awesome. Let's talk about the Grey Cup because that was really cool that you guys got to play the Grey Cup. You guys and the Lumineers, like what all went in to that show because yeah. I mean, you guys were rehearsing you were like walking and singing yeah it was you know, a whole deal it's a good question because and i like talking about it because we've built up this skill set of being a live band right and we we i think we are we're getting pretty good at that and knowing how to 
relate to an audience and connect with an audience. But putting on a show for television, as you know, is much different than entertaining a live audience. And there's some overlap, but there's a lot of things that you just do much differently if you're only thinking about the TV viewer at home. And the Grey Cup for uh, our American listeners and watchers is like the Super Bowl of Canada. It's like the final game in the Canadian Football League. We were the halftime show. And we got to build out this like 15-minute musical performance any way we wanted. And uh, to their credit, they allowed us to sort of take full creative control. And we got to build out this sort of like medley of songs of our kind of biggest material. We invited the Lumineers up. And the Lumineers are one of our favorite you know, folk rock bands in America. Who doesn't love them? Some Lumineers. Come on. Right? And we played on one of their songs. They played on one of our songs. Uh, and Kay Flay, who's an amazing um, sort of multi-genre artist from L.A., she came up and did a song with us that we have together. You can get it. And uh, it was all live on television, so you could, there's no redos. And you're kind of hoping that the people in the truck are cutting at the, at the right spots. So when we finished the show, we're like, that all felt good, right? And so we all gave each other the thumbs up there. But then it was like, okay, let's watch it back and hope that all the sort of sleight of hand stuff that we were trying to pull off and the lighting and everything looked as good as we'd hope. And they did an amazing job in the production side. So a huge shout out to them. What was even the process of being asked to do the Grey Cup? I think the CFL has like a goal of trying to attract uh, big international uh, stars. Like the, the, the last time the Grey Cup happened, which was two years ago because of COVID, they couldn't have it the year before. Uh, they had Keith Urban and Keith Urban flew in from Nashville or wherever he was and he put on a great show. And, and before that, like Imagine Dragons have done it. Shania Twain has done it. Come on, let's go girls. <laughs> That's right. And um, our names, I think, been thrown about when they're discussing it. And this year just kind of worked out, I guess, uh, maybe with the borders being shut down. They had no other choice but to give it to old Arkells. How Canadian of you. That's very Canadian of you to downplay this amazing accomplishment. It's really cool. Like, that's something you should be, I mean, obviously you are proud of it, but like, wow. Yeah, it was cool. You know, I think it was like one of those things where it's like, if someone were to ask, oh, yeah, like, I want to go check out your band. Like, show me a thing you've done. I'm like, oh, this kind of, like, encompasses everything we're about. Because when it, the band is a five-piece band, we met at university, Tim, Mike, uh, Nick, and Tony, and I. But we tour with this extended horn section and singers, the Arquette. So it turns into this big soul production. So it's somewhere between, like, David Byrne talking heads with some, like, good old school, like, Canadian rock and roll that's influenced by, you know, like, the band or Bruce Springsteen. Uh, we love Neil Young. I know you love Neil Young. Love me some Neil Young. <laughs> and I think that kind of represents, like, what we're sort of about. And, yeah, so it was, it was amazing, honestly. And, like, the other thing is, I know I mentioned earlier, I think everybody is, like, just looking for some kind of purpose in their life right now. You know, like, everyone's like, what is a thing that I can chase after, that I can dream about, I can wake up looking forward to? And for us, we got the call kind of early November that we were going to do the halftime show. It happened December 12th. So for like a month, we're like planning every single day. That's not a very long time to like get it together. No, it was it was a ton of work. Yeah, normally you have a little bit more time to prep, but I think everything's just been in flux. So yeah, like what's the pyro going to look like? How are we going to transition from song to song? When are the Lumineers going to arrive? All, all that. Uh, so it was, it, was, it was a lot, but it was awesome. Like I'm like, just give me another one of these projects. Fight fans, throw your best haymaker with a risk-free first bet from FanDuel Sportsbook. Even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out, 
New customers get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with the promo code Renee and you'll be able to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. FanDuel offers all of your favorite bets. Choose from the money line to the method of victory to which round the fight might end and so much more. You can even parlay different fight bets together. The bigger your parlay, the bigger your potential payout becomes. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook and is now live in New York. Oh my gosh, listen New Yorkers, you want to get on this. What a way to celebrate. This is huge. If you're in New York, you're looking to play some bets. Obviously, FanDuel is a place to do it. The app is so easy to use. And when you win, listen to this one very closely. You get paid in as little as two freaking hours. It's nothing. What a quick turnaround. A New York minute, if you will. Now, to place your first bet risk-free, just sign up with the promo code Renee. That's R-E-N-E-E. And make every fight night mean more with the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Let's talk about some of your guys' Motown influences. I know that's such a huge thing for you guys. Is that sort of the common ground of musical taste that you guys kind of arrived upon? We love a lot of different kinds of music. Like, obviously, the Beatles, Motown, all the stuff our parents would have raised us on. I mean, we love modern music. You know, it's like, I mean, we grew up with a certain amount of, like, 90s rock. We, I love hip-hop. Like, I say, like, you know, maybe the most influential artist for a lot of us is, like, Kanye West. I uh, love Jay-Z. Like, love a lot of classic hip-hop. Uh, but yeah, my dad went to school. He's from, my dad's actually American. He's from New York City originally. He went to Detroit for university. He went to Wayne State University and he was a DJ at the local college radio station. So he had all the, these old vinyls from all these great Motown artists. And when I was born, he put them on. And so I love, you know, Smokey Robinson, The Temptations, Diana Ross, Stevie Wonder. All that is like very timeless songwriting. And it's just like universal. Were those some of the things that you like to sing to the most, though? Because it seems like it's the most fun to really let loose to. But yeah, I mean, I, I think and as young musicians, when the band was starting, I think a lot of like white dudes playing guitar music would be like, all right, what Led Zeppelin song are we going to play? And I was like, OK, but I was like, what would be more interesting to me is like, what if we did some Motown? Because I don't see as many people doing that. And I think I just love that more anyway. And then we had it. And then we're like, oh, here's an opportunity to play with a horn section. That's pretty fun. It's really lent uh, a lot of sort of musical education to what we do because we're able to just learn so much from from those musicians. 
it's pretty crazy even just to think like, you know, as I was saying at the beginning, like when you guys first started and, you know, put out Jackson Square to where you guys are now, you're what, 33 right I, now? I, I, I'm, right? I think a year younger than you. I just turned 35, so I'm in 86. Oh, oh, oh okay. Am I allowed to say that? I looked it up right. on your Wikipedia before. We no, I'm glad that you did because I looked up yours and it told me you were 33, so Wikipedia is lying. lying to you, so that's good. Wikipedia is like full of shit. Wikipedia used to say that I was a year older than I was and let me tell you how much I hated that. Um, I was like, can somebody fix this? I don't know how to go in there and fix this, but please somebody fix this. But you guys have been at this for some time. You're, I mean, you're young and you've been at this for such a long time. How much has the music business changed from when you guys started to where you're at now? I mean, things have changed a lot in the music business. I like this question because it reminds me of like how difficult it is to have a career writing your own music and performing your own music. Because I think about a lot of the bands that we came up with that were our peers that just don't really exist anymore as bands. Like it, it is hard. Like the lifespan of most bands is like probably three to five years if you're lucky. And so the fact that our first record came out in 2008 and, you know, we're still going strong now is I feel very happy about. Uh, I'd say the last two years has been really interesting, especially because it's like, you know, it went from CDs to, okay, we're doing streaming stuff now through Apple Music and Spotify, and obviously that still exists. And now with like stuff like TikTok as a device for musical discovery, it's like it's another thing you have to sort of think about. It's so confusing. Are you on TikTok? Are you on TikTok? Fuck no. We are, and we try our best to have fun with it. And there's days where you're like, oh, yeah, I've really figured out this app. I know how how to make a successful TikTok. And there's other days where you're like, I have no idea uh, what is going to connect. It's, it's much different. So you kind of just have to reframe how you think about the content itself. The thing that blows my mind about TikTok is like, because there's days that I'm like, hey, I should jump on this. And I'm like, I don't have fucking eight hours a day to, to figure out this dance. Yeah, we don't really do the dances either. But hopefully there's like, the idea is that there's like a corner of TikTok that appeals to you and that connects with you, and that is sort of like the time you should spend with it. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting. It really has the industry has really changed. I think for us, so much of our business though is based around the live show. So it's like that's the one thing that I feel comforted in. In that it's like sure, like technology can change, trends can change, genres can become less and more popular. But like if we can always deliver like a good live show that has like a universal appeal that like anybody can go to and go, oh yeah, that band's fucking good. I'll pay 30 bucks for a ticket. Then I, then I feel good about that. Sometimes I feel like I'm becoming that like crotchety old woman that's like, get off my lawn. When I'm like, man, there's, you know, there's so many different ways for people to, you know, quote unquote, to like be discovered or to like have their talent shine through a thing. And it's so different from like, I mean, essentially our careers started at the same time in completely different venues, but we started at the same time. And I feel like, I mean, definitely for me, it was like, you got to hit the pavement. I had a physical headshot and resume and like I had my demo reel burnt on a disc. I'm knocking on like much music's doors. Like that just doesn't exist anymore. Kids don't have to do that at all anymore. At least I don't think they do. But like, what's like your advice to, to people trying to break into this business now? Find people, I think ultimately find people that you like working with. I really think that's like such a huge part of it because then it feels less lonely and it's easy to, to sort of get in your own head about what your career means. As long as you have a peer group, no matter what you're doing, that you can lean on for support and you can have fun doing it, then it'll be okay. I think it's like the feelings of like loneliness and failure when you're trying to you know, become something in the entertainment industry, that is the hardest part. 
So do your best to remedy that by just finding good people that, that also um, help your skill set too. I think everybody can bring something different to the party. Like, you know, you're a host, but you rely on a production team and other people that are really good at their job. I think that'd be my advice is just like find your people and, and that'll make the whole, the whole experience better. What, what, what would you, what advice would you give? It's working hard and being nice to people and like having real connections with people, you know, like know everybody in the room, make sure you're paying attention to who everybody is and have conversations with people and always have a willingness to, to learn new things and new skills. Like maybe I should be on fucking TikTok. I don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I think that is the thing is just like keeping your eyes and your ears open and having like a willingness to adapt and being open to opportunities. Um, I kind of talk out both sides of my mouth with that because there's times that I've been like, oh, I've said yes to an opportunity because I'm like, well, let's see what I can make of this. And I'm like, I kind of wish I didn't waste time doing this thing that maybe I shouldn't have done. But sometimes those things lead to other avenues. Like, God, I never imagined in a million years would have imagined that I would have worked in wrestling. That was never the thing that I was like, that's what I'm going to go do. And it's like, oh, my God, if I had not had said yes to certain opportunities, I would not have landed where I did and ended up in the world that I ended up in. Like it's, you know, I think it's just kind of being open to different things and seeing what the world offers you. Yeah. It's funny. That temperament question that you're kind of getting at is really interesting. Cause like on one hand, like everything is important. Like you're like, everything is meaningful. Every moment counts, like really be thought. And then on the other hand, I often tell people that are maybe up too uptight. I'm like, listen, nothing matters. Just like try something and get on with it. Like, you know, it's like, who gives a shit? Like just try your best. Don't overthink it. Tomorrow's a new fucking day. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it's hard to manage both those things being completely true, I think. Where like it all yeah, counts. It's hard to find that. <laughs> yeah. But nothing matters. So just try a bunch of stuff and have a good time. Just find the middle ground in that that works yeah, yeah. for you and then we'll go from there. <laughs> hey, I want to ask though, because you're very, I think for a lot of people in Canada in the entertainment industry, you're a role model and you're a success story for like someone who like, you know, made the jump to America, who's finding a lot of success in America. What, what, what was, uh, and I apologize if this is stuff that you've talked about a lot on the podcast or, but when it comes to making that career choice to spend more time in the States, like what, what was that like for you? So for me, it was a very deliberate decision that I had been working at the score. I had kind of done the things that I really wanted to do. And even at the time of me getting to the score, I was literally at like essentially my own crossroads where I was like, hey, I either want to go work for Much Music or I want to go work for the score because they were both two places that I could get on national television, which is hard to find in Canada. There's not a lot of places to get that broad exposure. Um, so obviously things at the score panned out and it was great for me to be there. But once my time started to wind down, um, I just, it's this ceiling that can kind of happen within Canada that kind of makes, it makes me sad because I love Canada and I love working in Canada. Um, but there's just not a lot, there's not enough opportunity. There's not enough spaces for everybody to get that time and to really get to do the things that they want to do. That's why I was like, well, if I go to America, there's way, there's way more TV channels. There's way more production companies. There's just so much more stuff I can do. Listen, if I could have stayed home and bid George Stropolopoulos, maybe I would have done that. But um, just having more of that opportunity, but it can be such a hiccup and it's so much work and it can be so daunting to get your work papers together, to find someone that's going to be able to sponsor you, to help, you know, sort of make your own dreams come true. There can be a lot of roadblocks along the way. um, And that's always been something that I don't think a lot of people pay as much attention to between Canada and the United States. You don't realize that like, no, you really do. You have to get your different visas and you have to 
jump through all these hoops in order to just maintain any kind of job. And then, then you're tethered to that one job. And it's like, it's a, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to wrap your head around for sure. Yeah, you're right though. Like Canada is just a smaller pie. Like America is a very big pie with many slices of that pie. And Canada is like a very small pie. But there's sometimes like there's people in Canada whose careers that I like, I really look up to and I really love. Like I love Marilyn Dennis. I think she's fantastic. I love that she's had her show for so long. No, it's true, you know, and yeah, I think it's one of these like truly like to each their own sort of thing where it's like if you love the adventure of going down to L.A. and you're up for the challenge, awesome. If you are also just like if you love living in downtown Toronto, you have a family here or something like that, then you're like, you know, it's like it actually is just as much fun to to do that here. Like Jay Onright is a friend. Do you know Jay? Love Jay. He's fantastic. He's the best. And and he uh, obviously works for TSN. He he runs Sports Center now. He was down in LA doing Fox uh, Sports and had a great run with them. And now he's back here and he's a happy camper. Like he he and both gigs are great for different reasons. And the thing that's cool with him too is that um, Fox hired Jay to be Jay. They let Jay do him. He's, and so for people that don't know, Jay is he's a sportscaster, but he's very funny. Um, he's just he's like a cool dude and he just he delivers sports in such a different way but still behind a desk in a suit it looks more traditional but it's not delivered to you traditionally it can be zany and silly and that's what I love about Canada and that's I think that's one of those things that like sometimes America just doesn't get that it can fall a little flat sometimes Uh, yeah it's it's just it's such a tricky funny thing how do you like podcasting I like it because I can do whatever I want and we just turn on the mics and we get to bullshit but what I love about it is being able to have conversations like with somebody mm-hmm. like you I mean as much as you know I have tons of wrestlers on the show and um, I get to pick their brains but I love being able to have someone like you on the show and like yeah like I love knowing about everyone's stories I'm so curious about everybody's like their own story one of my favorite parts about being in, in, a, in a band of being a musician is getting to talk to people that are outside of the music world. So I was at a um, I was at a party for TIFF, which is Toronto International Film Festival. And I met a guy. He seemed to be there like by himself, and, we, and he asked what I did. I was like, I'm a musician. He's like, Oh, I'm visiting from New York. And we started talking about music. Anything. One thing led to another, and it turned out that he is the CEO of the Brooklyn Nets, and I'm a huge basketball fan. How do you rub elbows with all the fanciest people in basketball? What's going on? Well, I don't know. Well, I mean, that's my, my other true passion is, is basketball. Uh, and the, uh, yeah. So anyway, and his name is John Abamondi. Awesome guy. Really interesting story. He's like from Oklahoma, small town. Nobody would really go to college. He ended up going to MIT. He goes to Stanford for his MBA and he then becomes an assistant general manager with the St. Louis Cardinals and then the Padres, then works for MSG. And then anyway, I find his story to be endlessly interesting. And I only really got to chat with him because he found me interesting as a guy in a band. Same thing with, um, we were friends with, uh, with Nick Nurse, the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. Oh, I have so many questions. Okay, well, let's get into it. But anyway, same idea where he is just like, he texts me voice notes of him playing the piano and be like, yo, check out this thing I'm Nick learning. Nick Nurse did? Nick Nurse does regularly. And I ask him questions about basketball and we just have this fun friendship. So it's, I imagine you have similar stories where you're like, I get to meet people outside of my immediate world, but they're interested in what I do and I'm interested in what they do. And it's a kind of a cool friendship. Explain your relationship with Nick Nurse. Because I remember seeing this on Instagram, however long ago, and I was like, hold the phone. What's happening here? How did this relationship come together? We're very friendly with um, the people at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, which own the Leafs and the Raptors. We've 
done a headline show at Scotiabank Arena. Like we we just know that family very well. We got a note from Nick Nurse's assistant Jenny. Uh, how about halfway through their championship winning season? What became their championship winning season? That Nick was Nick is looking for a piano for his office. Does anybody have any suggestions? And and somebody at MLSE sent us this note. So we hooked him up with a piano because we know some people at Roland. Uh, then the Raptors went on to win the championship. He was photographed getting off the team plane with a guitar on his back, like throughout oh the entire God. playoff run. It's like, who is this? By the way, I just want to uh, backtrack for a second. Nick's story is incredible. He has a book that, that he wrote about his career in coaching. Basically, he had one D1 scholarship opportunity as a uh, coming out of high school in middle of nowhere, Iowa, plays four years. He has one playing opportunity post-college, which is not in the Spanish league, not in the Italian league, not in the Greek league, not the, the, but the eighth league down is the British Basketball League. And the team in Birmingham said, you can play for us, but you also have to be our head coach. So from there began his journey as a head coach in basketball at the age of like 22, where he's a player coach. He spent 10 years in England, another uh, in Belgium, came back to Iowa, went back to England, finally becomes a head coach in, in the G League, which is now the D League, underneath uh, the Houston Rockets. One thing leads to another. At the age of like 50, he finally becomes a head coach in the NBA with the Toronto Raptors. This is 30 years, basically, of toiling in obscurity, but just coaching basketball because he loves it. Anyway, he becomes head coach of the Raptors. In that season, they win the NBA championship, the first one uh, for the Toronto Raptors in our history. We have our headlining show at Budweiser Stage in Toronto the next week. So they went on like the, I forget what day, the next Saturday, we're playing the sold out concert. It's like 16,000 people are going to be there. So we email his, uh, his assistant, Jenny. But Jenny, does Nick want to come up and do Stevie Wonder Science Seal Delivered with us? Just kind of thinking that it won't happen, but like, why not? Why not ask? Everybody in the city is in a pretty joyful mood. And then we just hear back, like, yeah, Nick's in. We're like, what? He's in? He shows up for sound check. He's, he's all ready to play. He's all excited about it. I think he's a little nervous. So it's midway through the show. We're doing a bunch of Motown songs just for fun. And then I'm like, our next guest, some would say he's the hottest guitar player in Canada. Give it up for the head coach of your championship-winning Toronto Raptors, Nick Nurse. The crowd's heads explode. I've never heard a louder applause. Just think about it. Like the head coach of our team that just won the championship is walking on stage to play guitar and play "Sign Seal Deliver It." I'm yours. Uh, our first ever championship is like it couldn't have really been more perfect. Anyway, he's an awesome guy. Uh, he's just good to everybody. He knows what it's like to having to drive like a 12-person van around the countryside in England to get from one game to the next. So the fact that now he's like, you know, a millionaire championship winning coach is like so awesome. Everyone's just rooting for him. How did you get into being a basketball fan? Because I feel like growing up in Canada, obviously we are all like glued to the TVs to watch hockey all the time. How did you get into basketball? Because you go to like high school games and stuff, right? So I, I grew up on a lot of baseball and a lot of basketball. I never, I didn't really play hockey as a kid. Um, and the Raptors started in 95. So I would have been, you know, nine years old. So just kind of the perfect age. I'm a huge baseball fan too. So when I was in grade seven, I believe, the assignment for whatever class was interview somebody who has a job in the community that you like, that you think is cool. So I opened the phone book and I found the front office of the Toronto Raptors 
And I said, can I please speak to Glenn Grunwald, who is the general manager of the Toronto Raptors? And they just put me through. They're like, okay. <laughs> so then I was like, hey, Mr. Grunwald, uh, I think your job is really cool. Can I interview you for my assignment for school? And he's like, okay. So I got to interview him. And I stayed friends with Glenn Grunwald. Glenn Grunwald uh, just retired as the head of uh, the president of Canada Basketball. Anyway, it was that instinct to be like, I kind of want to meet someone. I kind of want to interact with someone. I think this would be kind of interesting and cool. That instinct has always sort of existed. So it's the same thing that led me to like email Nick Nurse is the same thing I've been doing literally for like 20 years. It's like no different. Like what do you, same thing with the Lumineers to a degree where I'm like, I love the Lumineers. Wouldn't it be kind of cool if they came up and did a song with us. We did a song with them. And we just kind of emailed them. We're like, hey, do you want to do this thing? And they're like, yeah, cool. We're in. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny in the moment, though, because I have certainly done things like that, too. And in the moment, I'm like, this seems like the fine thing to send. But then, like, if you look back on it, like, a couple of years later, you're like, what a fucking No, you can't, though. You just can't look back. You have to have the memory of a goldfish. I think that's my one strength. I don't really suffer the PTSD of rejection because I just don't remember. But even if it goes through, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm yeah, so well, if sorry. it goes through, then you feel like a champion. You're like, of course, I'm the best. I know. <laughs> Obviously, they want to do this stuff. I'm fantastic. But if it doesn't go through, which is most of the time, you just can't remember it. But, but occasionally, Renee, like I do, well, I'll come across an email or something that I sent. And I go to myself, what the fuck were you thinking? Are you insane? Like, you are nuts. And then I just try to, like, okay, I got to keep it, keep it moving. And I just put it aside. I love that. I have definitely done that a few times when like I'll go through and like find emails that I've saved, whether it was to like anything from like trying to get a job to trying to get an agent to like sending off a demo reel. Like I'll look back on an old demo reel. I'm like, oh my God, how was this my best work I was showing you? What the fuck? But, but, you, know, but you know what though, which um, gives me um, hope or encourages me to keep going is that I'll hear a story from another successful person that was just as delusional or and and I'm like, oh yeah, okay, this is this is the way. Being delusional is a good trait. Yeah, just the right amount of delusion. Do do you watch that that show uh, Succession on HBO? I just kind of started. I'm only on like episode five. So Kieran Culkin, Macaulay Culkin's brother, who plays this awesome character on the show, Roman, I just heard him in a podcast interview the other day. They wanted him to uh, interview for Cousin Greg, which is another character. And he was like, I don't want to do this. So without being asked, he liked the Roman character and he just filmed himself doing the Roman lines. And he was like, you know what? I don't want to do Cousin Greg. I think I'd be good at Roman. Here you go. And then they saw him, even though they weren't auditioning for Roman at the time. They're like, oh, we're not there yet. Please don't send us anything. And, they're like, and then he sent it in. And you're like, oh, this is pretty good. So he just kind of went and did it. And sometimes that ballsy thing uh, or like, you know, I don't everybody get in my way is very annoying. But occasionally it works. I think a big takeaway as well is like no one actually knows what the fuck they're doing. So sometimes you just got to like throw stuff out there or like people aren't going to envision you doing a certain thing. If they're just looking at you through one lens, you got to put it out there and just like, I don't know, cast that wide net. Why not? And I think giving people context for like what you care about and what you're interested in. And it's like, because people are in their own little world a lot of the time, but if you're able to sort of like, paint a a bigger picture for them in whatever the endeavor is and you give them more reason to like be interested. I think, I think that's part of it too. Um, Okay. Super sidetrack, but I want to talk about your flatten the curve music classes that you were doing. What went into this? It seems so cool. This is sort of at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was really stuck at home and we were just thinking about how can we bring a little bit of light and joy to people's 
daily existence in a very kind of otherwise bleak time. So basically, I'd go online on Instagram and just do like a very brief guitar lesson on an Arkell song or a cover and people could tune in and also just chat. Like I'd open up the IG live just like, oh, anyone want to chat? And it was, it was a bit like chat roulette. Nobody did anything offside. Everybody was very well behaved. That was a fun way to spend the beginning part of the pandemic. We, we did all 57 Arkell songs. And then I was like, OK, I need a little break, break myself. Um, OK, another super side note. Um I'm of a very firm belief that some of the most beautiful women in the world are in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. As a man of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and like a prominent man in that world, what is the dating scene like for you? I can't really speak to the dating scene uh, right now. You're taken. Uh, Yeah. Is this like a known thing? I don't really talk that much about my my personal life, but I will say that, yeah, Toronto's a very beautiful city. There's a... Hot women, hot dudes everywhere. I'm always kind of taken aback by it. Every time I'm home, I'm like, look at this girl. Where'd you come from? It's impressive. Well, the thing is that it's a very diverse city, which I think adds to the beauty of the people. And also, um, everybody's bundled up in jackets for so long, like so many months of the year, basically from like October to May. By the time summer comes around, everyone's strutting around. It's like everybody's like been waiting for it. Like that first warm day is a very exciting day. I mean, they do say that summer bodies are made in the winter. So Canada's got time <laughs> to get those abs ready to go. You've probably talked about this before. But what's the, uh, the dating within the wrestling scene protocol? Did you have to keep it secret for a minute? We did. We kept it secret for a little bit because um, the wrestling world can be a little bit, um, I'll use the word incestuous to a degree, I suppose, that like we're, you know, everyone's on the road together for such a long time. It's kind of bound to happen. But the thing that I find interesting is that there's so many, there's not as much like tomfoolery anymore. It's like people are just like married and in like legit relationships. So there's a lot of just like, Uh, We're married now. We're going to go, you know, to the room and shut it down when like before we'd like, you know, tear a new a-hole in whatever town we were in. But yeah, it's, it's funny. When we first started dating, we definitely kept it pretty to ourselves for at least like the first like six months. I wouldn't say there was like backlash to it, but there was definitely a couple looks of like, oh, really? People can be a little bit weird about it. But at the same time, you know, we've been married for five years together for like eight it's been a minute so yeah nobody nobody cares anymore it's such old news how well did you know wrestling before you started working in wrestling when I was working at the score and my boss at the time Greg Sansoni was like hey can you do this after show for Monday Night Raw based on what we were saying before I was like yep no problem I'll do that and then I'm like wait what the fuck did I just sign up for and I'm like checking everything out doing all my research like kind of relearning everything I watched it when I was a kid But I was definitely not submerged in that world. So once I was kind of like refocused on that, I was like, hey, who's who? What's going on? I really had to learn a lot. And uh, which is crazy because the wrestling world can be um, super unforgiving with things. I mean, wrestling fans love them some wrestling. Uh, So if you, you know, you mispronounce a name, you get someone's championship reign wrong, you know, all sorts of different things. They will, uh, they'll hunt you down. So I'm surprised I navigated those waters. Did you watch wrestling as a kid? Were you a wrestling kid at all? A little bit. I do have memories of like baseball camp uh, with all my friends running around. Christy Pitts saying, let's get ready to suck it to everybody who would look at us. And uh, doing the big Generation X thing. Um, but uh, my, my friend Adam, who I mentioned earlier, he is a collector of... The only thing he wears is vintage wrestling shirts. 
Probably spends a lot of money on them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, how much you pay for that? He's like, you know, 600 bucks. I'm like, so it's a real industry. I, I shouldn't be surprised. Um, You have quite the fashion game though. Your fashion inspired me for my SummerSlam jacket that I wore when we were in Toronto. The fringe? Yes, the fringe. <laughs> I and I was pissed because you had the rainbow fringe and I, I did not get the Mine's just black, but the rainbow was it, man. Well, you know, um, I, I, I appreciate those, those nice words. Um, you know, when the band started, um, it was just, you know, five dudes. It was like kind of like indie rock. There's a lot of plaid shirts and like beards and jeans and that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. That was sort of like craft the beers. style at the time. But we've really evolved, I think. And, and, I, and I, by the way, I find that kind of fashion to be sort of boring. Did you say craft beers? Yeah. Yeah, also kind of boring. And the evolution of like wearing more kind of ridiculous things as we've gone on has been very, very fun for me. I just got my nails done for the first time because because our album is called Blink Once. I just took them off, but um, I had the Blink Once written across my nails. And I was like, this is just more entertaining. And when you think about the history of sort of fashion and rock and roll, you know, the old rock and roll dudes would sometimes really go for it. it. Like, you know, if you think about Bowie, if you think about what Mick Jagger would wear, even um, the Beatles documentary that just came out, Get Back, which I love, George Harrison is wearing the craziest shit. Oh, my God. He comes out in, like, the fur jacket and the boots. Like, what a look. What a handsome man. Handsome man. So, so then we started kind of really going down a road of, like, how can we make each look interesting and, and sometimes controversial. And like, what can, will people maybe be like, what is this guy wearing? And if, and if you're eliciting some kind of visceral response, then that, that's a good thing. Well, Max, I will let you get on with your day. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me. It's fun to catch up with you. Oh, amazing to reconnect. And honestly, like uh, all the best and so much congratulations to your success. It's a, we're all Thanks. so proud of you. Listen, I'm proud of you. I'm in Toronto. I'm like, <laughs> look at these guys. You guys are just like up and doing the damn thing. So next time I'm in Toronto... Hopefully things will be open. Hopefully I can come to a show. Hopefully I will have learned a couple Neil Young chords and we'll I mean, just see we'll what happens. We'll get you up on stage. We'll do keep on rocking in the free world or something. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Thank you guys for hanging out. A big thank you to Max for taking the time. I know everyone's so freaking busy these days. So but can you sit down with me for like an hour and let me pick your brain? But what I love about these conversations too is like that was like such a conversation. It's fun when someone like, you know, occasionally asks me questions back sometimes. I want to participate. Also, like, how's the dude friends with everybody? Like him and like Nick Nurse are best friends. Like, what? What is happening here? It's very cool. Everyone in Canada knows each other. As they say, the truth has been exposed here on the sessions. We all do, in fact, know each other. We all love each other. It's nice land with nice people. I miss Canada. God, I gotta go. I keep saying, and now like I, I really do have to do it. I've already done it, but I need to get Nora's passport done. She's not been to Canada yet. She's not met my brother, and my brother has had a son, and they've not been able to meet. Anyways, you guys don't need to know all this stuff, but I need to get a passport done so they can cross the border, get back up to Canada, recharge my battery even more, you know, flick a toonie at somebody, get some ketchup chips, smash a poutine, all of those stereotypical things, all while wearing a Canadian tuxedo. Maybe say hey to my girl Trish, you know, Trish Stratus up there. Santino Morella, my guys. Oh my gosh. Anyways, all right, that's enough for me. This has been the sessions. You know the drill. Follow me. The video for this interview will, of course, be up on my YouTube. Just search Renee Paquette. All the goods are in there. Until next time, this has been The Sessions. Sessions.